Well, hello, First Church family. Uh, thank you for joining us here online. Uh, my name is Thomas McClure. I'm the youth pastor here at First Church. And I'm going to be sharing uh, with you guys today from uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Um, as a lot of you know, we've been going through the book of Exodus uh, this year. We're taking the entire year uh, with a couple of little breaks in between to try and cover the entire book uh, of Exodus. Like last year, we did the book of Ephesians. This year, it's Exodus. And this week, we are starting into chapter 3. Um, now, I don't know about you. But when I think of Exodus, I think of uh, a certain movie. Now, maybe you think of the Ten Commandments. That that was not my, my era. I, I My mind goes towards the Prince of Egypt. That was sort of my childhood growing up uh, watching that movie. And the funny thing is, with, with that movie, we're already halfway through. We're halfway through the movie. Most of most of things have happened so far. Um, but actually, we're only in chapter three of this book, which I find pretty exciting because there's a whole lot more to happen um, that we don't get to see uh, necessarily shown in the movies uh, that, that are made, but um, that we're going to see throughout uh, the remainder of this book. Um, so I hope you're excited to keep going through this book. Uh, there's a lot to unpack. And this week and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking larger chunks um, of, of each passage uh, or entire chapters or sometimes a couple of chapters and we're trying to pull out key themes uh, or key phrases and sentences that, that really uh, are most important in, in each passage. Uh, and, and just like today, uh, chapter 3, we're looking at the entire chapter but we're primarily going to be focusing in on verses 14 and 15. We're going to get there in a little bit. Um, but to start, um, I'm gonna, we're going to read through the first uh, 12 or 13 verses and talk a little bit about the setup of what we're going to see in verses 14 and 15. Um, so if you have a Bible, uh, open it up to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord, and that's an important phrase, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land, uh, from, the ha from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of, the, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It is the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of Israelites have, has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I uh, who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
Uh, will you pray with me real, real quick? Father, thank you for this passage and, and for what we're about to get into with verses 14 and 15. Lord, I pray that you speak through me today. Um, and Lord, I pray that this, this, uh, this passage um, and the way that it is exposited is honouring to you, but most of all that it motivates us and drives us to love you more and to tell more people about you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, chapter three, we, we, we start with this story that we're maybe very familiar with, the story of the burning bush. And I want to take a couple of minutes just to dissect this, because it is an important part of the passage. And if you're like me, um, you might think of this area of Exodus as the time that Moses is given his mission. Right? Maybe, that's, maybe that's what you think uh, this passage is all about, when Moses is given his mission. And one thing that we've been talking about here as, as a church leadership is we want to be careful sometimes whenever we're teaching the Bible. Um, and, and especially for me with some of our youth and, and, and the kids that we work with, um, we want to be careful in that we're, we're not always teaching the heroes of the Bible, like Moses and David and all these kinds of people, but we want to be making sure that we're always teaching the hero of the Bible. And the one and only hero uh, of the Bible. And, and, and that hero is, we, we call God, okay? And, and God is just this word that we use um, to talk about a certain individual. Um, but it's not an overly helpful word, because if you get 50 people and you put them all in a bus, 50 random people from all over the country, and put them in a bus and you say the word God to those 50 people, you're going to have 50 interpretations of what that word really means. Um, so that's why this passage is so important, and especially in verses 14 and 15, because the word God um, can, be, can mean so many different things to so many different people. But in this passage, things get much more specific. Firstly, I want to, us to look um, at uh, verse, verse 2 of this entire chapter. So chapter 3, verse 2, um, and it says, There... Uh, so in, in Midian, in the wilderness, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a burning bush. So here we have, uh, we're introduced to a character, okay? This, this, this name, the angel of the Lord. Now we, we know in other passages of scripture, in the New Testament, we see that nobody has seen the Father. Nobody, and, and it even says nobody has heard the Father. So, so this individual known as the angel of the Lord continues to speak as God yet we know that nobody has seen or heard the father so so we don't really quite know what's going on here at first you think this is an, an individual known as the angel of the Lord speaking as God now I want to pull us over to uh, the book of Jude in the New Testament now, if you don't know who Jude is uh, it's actually the brother of Jesus uh, and he did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was until a lot later in his life. Um, but in Jude uh, verse 5, it says this, Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord, and in some manuscripts it just says Jesus, um, I want to remind you that Jesus at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So Jude looks at this passage in the Old Testament, looks at Exodus and looks at the entire story of the angel of the Lord, which we see pop up all the time in the book of Exodus, as the one who freed God's people from slavery in Egypt. Um, and he says that was none other than Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, this is long before he is physically incarnated and in the body of Jesus that we, that we read about in the New Testament. But don't forget, Jesus is part of God. He is both 
um, God himself and distinct from God simultaneously, part of the Trinity. It's, it's a confusing thing that I barely understand, so couldn't possibly teach about. But we know that this is God. So this is why there's an angel of the Lord who is not the Father speaking as God. And Jude says this is pre-incarnate Jesus. This is pre-incarnate Jesus working through his people, beginning to act and move and rescue his people from the Egyptians. Um, and, and I love the picture that it appears as. So Jesus, uh, or the angel of the Lord, appears in a bush that is on fire. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think of a flame or a, or a fire, I think of something that is fierce and something that's dangerous. Um, but it is also something that is comforting, something that provides safety, heat and warmth and care. And what a powerful picture of what Jesus and who God is as a character. He is fierce. He is mighty. And yet he is comforting. And he is a safe place that can keep you warm and comfortable um, uh, when, when in need. And, and the interesting thing about this is that it's tame. You see, see, here we have this raging, dangerous fire on a very flammable object called a bush. Yet it is not being burned up. It is being tamed by God. Um, even nature obeys the Father obeys Jesus, obeys this character that we call God. And throughout this passage, this is when we start to see God interact with Moses. And the reason I want to say that we don't want to, we want to teach the hero of the Bible and not the heroes, like the humans of the Bible, is because here Moses starts to mess up already. I mean, he's already killed an Egyptian. Um, he's already committed murder and, and ran for his life. But here, um, God says, I need you to, I, I want you to do this for me. I want you to execute this mission for me. I'm asking you to do this. And his first response is basically, no, thank you. Uh, he's like, why on earth would you send me? Don't send me. And he tries to get out of it. And we'll see much more in the following chapters that he really doesn't want to do this. Um, but God has, has greater plans. Uh, so verses uh, 13 through 15 is what we come up to next. So God has, 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 is speaking through this character called the angel of the Lord and beginning to present this mission to Moses. And Moses uh, starts to refuse in verse 11. Uh, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign uh, to you that it is I that has sent you. When you have, when you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And at this point, Moses has another rebuttal, right? He tries to respond again. He's like, well, you know, he, just, he comes up with these excuses. Um, so verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? And this is really important. This is what we're going to camp out on a little bit uh, today. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Um, other manuscripts or other uh, translations may say, I will be what I will be, or I am what I am. Um, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This, might, this passage gets a little bit confusing because God says two things back to back. Um, whenever Moses says, what, wh what is your name? What am I supposed to call you? Uh, if, when I go to these Israelites and they ask who sent me um, or what is the name of this God? Um, what am I supposed to say? 
And God replies with this phrase, I am who I am. I am who I am. And this phrase, I am, we see Jesus repeat, just like we were talking earlier, Jesus, this is a statement that Jesus says about himself uh, later on in the New Testament. But this phrase, I am, is such a complete and utter statement. It doesn't, sometimes we think it doesn't quite make sense in English, but it makes complete sense for us to say that God simply is. He simply is. He does not need anything. He relies on nothing. He does not have a beginning or an end. He is the alpha, the omega. He is everything in between. He is everlasting to everlasting and he is more powerful than anything. And he does not need or rely on a single thing to survive or get by. And this is the biggest thing that separates God from us. You see, we rely on everything. Uh, Sometimes if you stop and think about it, it's a little bit overwhelming of everything that we need just to survive for a short amount of time here on earth. We need a mother and a father to to conceive us, to give birth. We need a mother to carry us and to to birth us. And nowadays we need doctors to do that and and bring us into this world. We need to be fed. We need to be clothed. We need to have shelter. Um, We have to be protected from the elements outside. We need trees and plants to grow and produce oxygen so that we can breathe. We need ground underneath our feet so that we can walk. We need gravity. We need to be a certain distance from the sun so that we can walk and not float off into the sky. Uh, We need to be a certain distance from the sun so that we don't burn up or freeze if it was just slightly off. We need the earth to spin just the way that it does. We need food. We need animals and and plants to, to eat and survive. We need friendships and and people around us to keep us sane. We rely on so much. um, And ultimately, we rely on God for our very existence. And that is one of the biggest things that separates everything from God the Father. Because God is the creator. Everything else is the created. And this is the biggest difference. See, God is. He always is. He always has been. And he always will be. That is who... God is, in a nutshell, he always is. He is perfect. He is everlasting to everlasting. And, and, and what an overwhelming statement to make about yourself. Nobody would dare say that about themselves these days. They would sound like a maniac. Um, but this is something that God very confidently says, I am who I am. I am everything. Um, and then he goes on and he says, you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. But then he's, in verse 15, he says something different. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, a lot of times this this might seem confusing because maybe we're thinking that he's just talking about the phrase I am. But here we actually have a different name that God has been given um, or a name that we are to call God. See, he is who he is. Uh, he, and, and that is how he refers to himself as I am. But we are to call him something different. And in our Bibles, we have this word, Lord, in all capital letters. Um, and we see that throughout the Bible uh, a lot. Uh, in fact, with this exact translation, it pops up over 6,800 times. This word, Lord, in all capital letters. Now, there are other times that Lord shows up in lowercase letters. But whenever it shows up like this, Lord in all capital letters. Those four capital letters um, are written as four Hebrew letters, which is Y-H-W-H. And this is where we get our name that we call God, Yahweh. 
Yahweh. And maybe you've heard this before, but Yahweh is, is the, the assumption is that it is, a, it is a third person perspective of what we call I am, more like he is. Um, and, and this title Yahweh is the name that we are told to call him. Now, the ancient Israelites, whenever they were writing the, the Old Testament and, and talking and reading about it, they wouldn't dare say the name Yahweh. That's why they wrote the word Lord. In fact, they would continue to write the word Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord, um, our sovereign one. Um, and they would know whenever they come across this word Yahweh, they wouldn't say Yahweh, they would say Adonai, out of reverence and respect for just how amazing and, and incredible God is. They would just call him Lord out of respect for not even uttering his name. Because you see, in the Bible, a name is incredibly important. Nowadays, we don't really think too much about a name, right? My name is Thomas, uh, that means twin. I don't have a twin, um, but I guess my parents like the name. I don't really know why I'm called Thomas. Um, but nowadays, it doesn't matter too much. We name people because we like the name, or we name people because it was maybe a, a parent's name or a grandparent's name, um, or maybe someone on TV that we liked. Um, you know, we name people like that. Or if you're Elon Musk, you name him after a, an equation or some of the weird celebrity names that you get these days. Um, but in the Bible, names were incredibly important. It made a massive statement on who that person is, what they were there to accomplish, and, and, and the, maybe their background story. For example, we have Abraham, whose name was Abram, but changed to Abraham, which uh, Abraham means the father of multitudes. Or we have Moses, which means to be drawn out, um, whether you could say he was drawn out of the Nile or was drawn out of Egypt or um, all of these different perspectives that you could say about Moses, all the way up to Jesus, which means Savior, or Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, names in the Bible are incredibly, incredibly important. And this name, Yahweh, is so important that the people who wrote this book wouldn't dare even say it. It was so special. Um, so the, this name Yahweh has a lot of connotations to it, and there's lots of different perspectives of what it really means. Um, and uh, one of the most important and beautiful pictures that I've seen come out of this um, is, is kind of what I'm going to be landing on uh, today, is a beautiful poetic picture that Yahweh, the phrasing Yahweh, the two syllables Yahweh, sound almost onomatopoeic for breath. That inhale of Yah and the exhale of Hoi. And that sounds a little bit weird, okay? It sounds a little bit weird to me, but in the ancient literature, this would be a picture that they often used for breath. And the beautiful picture about that is if we look back in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God breathed life into the nostrils of humans and made them a living soul. You see, God gave us breath through his very breath himself. The very breath that we breathe is borrowed life from God. And in, in contrast to that, every breath that we take, every inhale and exhale that we take, exclaims his name and proclaims that he, in fact, is sovereign. Whether we like it or not, our very breathing proclaims that the great I am that we call Yahweh is sovereign over everything. And I think that is such a beautiful, amazing picture that God is sovereign. He simply is. He is greater than everything. He is more powerful than anything that has ever been. And every breath that we take exclaims his magnificence. And that's, this is why we're talking about the one and only true hero of the Bible. That is God. And that God's name is Yahweh. 
Now, over the next few weeks uh, and next few months, we're going to be looking at the remaining story of the book of Exodus, and there's a lot to unpack. But I want you to remember, every time we come across the word Lord um, in, in all capital letters, the, that is talking about um, the one true, only, powerful, almighty, who always is, always has been, and always will be, God Yahweh.